If you want to become the philosopher's stone, O soul, read the Bani of the Satguru. This is the Bhajan J. Parasona Ijindariye on page 151. Come on, dear ones of the Satguru, and sing the true Bani. At least sing the Guru's Bani, as that Bani is above the others. Those who have good fortune and grace, in their heart dwells the Bani. Drink the nectar and always remain in the color of God, as the rainbird remembers the water. Nanak says, always sing, as this is the true Bani. If you want to become the philosopher's stone, O soul, read the Bani of the Satguru. Bhajan of Guru Amardas on page 151. Sadara 
जपियो सारंग पाने जिंदारिए पद सब्द गुरु दीवानी जे पारस हो नए जिंदारिए पद सत गुरु दीवानी जे पारस हो नए जिंदारिए पद सत खाहे नानक सादगावो खाहे नानक सादगावो ए हो साचे बानी जिंदारिए पद सत गुरु If you want to become the philosopher's stone, O soul, read the Bani of the Satguru. The next bhajan is on page 174. Jai Satguru Pyareya Milo Menu. O beloved Satguru, come and meet me. My soul is longing. I don't realize your doing, but you have united me with God. I am full of bad qualities. I have no good qualities, but you yourself took pity on me. When you took pity on me, grace was showered, and I met the beloved Satguru. Nanak says, I will live only if I get Nam, and my body and mind will blossom. O beloved Satguru, come and meet me. My soul is longing. Bhajan of Guru Arjan Dev on page 174. Ji Jisat Guru Piyare Amilo Menu Tarasare Hi Janahe Meri Tarasare Hi Janahe Kita jato me nahi, jite rakita jato me nahi, jimanu joga kito.
ਸਤਿਗੁਰੂ ਪਿਆਰੇ ਸਤਿਗੁਰੂ ਪਿਆਰੇ ਕਨਾਮ ਮਿਲੇ ਤੈ 
Satguru, come and meet me. My soul is longing. And the next World Religions class will be on June 6th. I want to continue reading from The Crown of Life. I don't plan to read the entire book at Satsang over the next few months, but I would like to read a, a good part of it. Some parts of it are easier to understand than others, but if we put our attention into it, I think we can grasp the underlying reality of what the path is. And if we understand that, then we can do it that much easier. It becomes clearer. So this is the section, again, in the first chapter called Soul and Oversoul. And it's very, Master numbers the paragraphs. He's making an, a, a rational or a logical projection here from the absolute, the to, total down to the particular. All right, one, soul is the reality and the essence. It is one as well as a totality. In one, there is always the delusion of many, and the totality does signify the existence therein of so many parts. The ideas of a part and of a whole go cheek by jowl, and both the part as well as the whole are characterized by the similarity of the essential nature in them. Two. The essence of a thing has its own attributive nature, and the two cannot be separated from each other. Just as the essence is both one and many, so is the case with its attributive nature. Three, the essence of a thing is its johar, its very life breath. It is the only primal principle that pervades everywhere and is the reality behind all forms and colors. This active life principle is the very source of creation and goes variously by the names of Prakriti. Pra, I always have trouble pronouncing certain Indian words, Sanskrit words with a lot of R's in them. goes variously by the names of Prakriti in the subtle Pradhan in the causal, 
and maya or matter in the physical world. Notice that Master is here talking about the creation and he is referring to, he's calling maya the active life principle that is the very source of creation. Emphasis here on creation because throughout this book the idea of creation as fundamentally illusory is always there. And so in terms of the source of creation, not necessarily that which lies behind creation, then prakriti, pradhan, or maya is the source of it. Four, the attributive nature of a thing. And of course he's differentiating and also not differentiating between essence and attribute. The essential nature and what is what it is, the attributive nature is what we perceive of it. The attributive nature of a thing is its integrated part and parcel in which its nature inheres. Just take the case of light. Can light be conceived of as apart from the sun or radiant vitality apart from a gloriously healthy personality? One does not exist without the other, as the two are inseparable and fully embedded in each other. Five, any attempt to consider the two, nature and its essence, and nature here is the attributive nature, that is its manifestation as creation, and the essence is what lies behind it and is manifested. Any attempt to consider the two, nature and its essence, as separate, even if only in imagination, is bound to bring in the idea of duality. It is only in terms of this duality that one can conceive of the creation as distinct from the creative principle, as being the result of the outer play of the twin forces of spirit called matter and soul. The scientific investigations, too, have now come to the irresistible conclusion that all life is one continuous existence at different levels, and what we call inert matter is nothing but energy at its lowest stage. In another place, Master says that matter is congealed energy. In nature itself, both in the subtle and causal planes, these two principles are always at work. God and Prakriti in the subtle, God and Pradhan in the causal, and soul and matter in the physical universe. The creation everywhere is but the outcome of the impact of the one on the other. In other words, although the fact is that these two are the same, we perceive them as separate, and in that perception, which is fundamentally mayak or illusory, creation as such is the result of the working of the one on the other, even though in reality there is no one or the other. This is an extremely interesting and very subtle point, which he gets into later in the book also, which sooner or later we will read that too. Six, soul then is the life principle and the root cause at the core of everything. 
for nothing can come into manifestation without it. It has a quickening effect and imparts its life impulse to the seemingly inert matter by contact with it. It is by the life and light of the quickening impulse of the soul that matter assumes so many forms and colors with their variety of patterns and designs which we see in the universe. 7. This life current or soul is extremely subtle, a self-effulgent spark of divine light, a drop from the ocean of consciousness, with no beginning and no end, and eternally the same, an unchangeable permanence, boundless, complete in itself, an ever-existent and all-sentient entity, imminent in every form, visible and invisible, for all things manifest themselves because of it, it being the life current or soul, which of course in essence is the nam or the word. Nothing is made that is not made by it. The one remains, the many change and pass. Life like a dome of many colored glass stains the white radiance of eternity. Shelley. 8. Just as the sun spreads out its rays in the world, as an ocean carries on its surface bubbles, ripples, waves, tides, and currents, and as a forest is made up of innumerable trees, so does Oversoul or God, when looked at through his creation, appear to be split into so many forms, exhibiting and reflecting the light and life of God in a rich panorama of variegated colors. Yet his spirit runs through all alike, just as a string through so many beads, while he, unconcerned, remains apart from all in his own fullness. 9. The first downward projection of the spiritual current, as it emanated from God, brought into manifestation ether or akash, and akash literally means sky, and it refers to the stuff of the inner planes, which underlies and is the foundation of, in terms of creation, the physical plane, which is the most subtle of the elements and spreads everywhere in space. This has two aspects. One is that of the spirit or soul remaining unmanifest in the ether, and the other that of the manifest ether, wherein the two forces, positive and negative, which are inherent in it, further combined and brought into manifestation air, or vayu, and exactly in the same way the manifest air gave birth to fire, agni, and the manifest fire produced water, jau, and the manifest water led to the formation of earth, prithvi, while the spirit of each element, which is essentially the same, remained unmanifest throughout. In the same way as above, what we call God has an essential godhood, absolute and imageless, 
the life and spirit of the universe, and at the same time, the universe itself, with its varied creations full of and manifesting so many forms and colors, appearing and disappearing like ripples in the sea of life. The unmanifest and impersonal God is free from all attributes, while his individualized rays, as manifested in countless forms and colors by constant contact with maya, prakriti, and pradhan, physical, subtle, and causal, feel themselves, through ignorance of their true nature, as limited and separate from each other, and are thereby drawn into the ambit of the inexorable karmic law, or the law of cause and effect, which entails a consequence for every deed, every word, and every thought. What is unfulfilled in one life is fulfilled in another, and thus the giant wheel of life and death, once set in motion, goes on perpetually by the force of its own inexhaustible momentum. Herein lies the difference between the individualized soul on the one hand and the great soul of the universe called God on the other, the one being bound and limited, the other being without (coughs) bounds or limits. And that recognition, the understanding of how the universe works, lies at the bottom of all of the ethical or behavioral or psychological commandments of the Master. They are all aimed at allowing us to perceive the essence of things as opposed to the maya or the duality or the splitting up of the essence into the creation. The more we are aware of the reality underlying the manifest creation, the more we will have the perspective of the master. We will see as he sees and we will be able to be as he is. You know, a lot of things that the master says reflects this, of course. Everything the master says reflects this. But perhaps the most poignant or the most acute part of the master's teaching on how we are to behave and live that connects with this is the teaching on not judging. Because it is when it is in the act of judging others that we give full play to our sense of separateness. If we understood how we relate to others, that is, that we love our neighbor as ourself because our neighbor is ourself, then uh, we wouldn't be able to judge them. And this is something that all masters have emphasized, Buddha and Jesus as well as all the others, but terms of living up to it, institutional or organized religion has not done well with this, partly because the vision of the underlying essence that those masters had is not shared on the level of institutional or organized religion. Anyway, this is the discourse. It's actually notes of a discourse of Master Kripal Singh that he gave on January 28, 1967. 
on judging others. It's in the book, The Ambrosial Hour. And here he is presenting these, the idea that he just discussed in very theoretical terms. He is presenting in extremely direct psychological and behavioral terms. If we realize that death is certain, then there will be a change in our life. You must remain attentive in meditation. If not, the mind will think of others and judge their actions, criticizing, etc. Instead of the good actions of others, we take their bad actions to be our guiding factor. If you see the bad qualities of others, you will become those bad qualities. As you think, so you become. God has said, He is my loveliest child who sees me and others. Thoughts are very potent. You should see the good qualities of others rather than their bad qualities. You must have a sweet tongue. It should not injure the feelings of others. You want to love God, yet you curse others in whom God resides. Injuring the feelings of others is a great sin. It is a sin of the highest degree. If you have to face a person with such bad qualities, get on to one side rather than face him. Analyze yourself and see your own shortcomings instead of seeing the shortcomings of others. Who are you to take out the shortcomings of others? It is easy to seek God but very difficult to mend yourself. If you realize that God resides in others, would you want to hurt them? One by one, you should give up your shortcomings. This is why I insist on all initiates keeping a diary. If a man won't give up his evil ways of hurting others, why should you depart from your sweet ways of helping others? If you must observe others, then observe their virtuous qualities. There are shortcomings in all, but also good qualities. Swamiji says, I will give you a tip. If you want to see shortcomings, then look into your own self. If you want to see virtues, then see them in others. Listen to what I say and take heed. If not, you will be sorry, and then it will be too late in the day. I have selected the best piece of advice for you. Now it is up to you to follow it. God has given us this tongue to remember him and not to hurt the feelings of others. A very uh, clear-cut statement, which certainly reflects the teachings of all masters who came in the past, including... Buddha in Jesus, as I said, and also all the others. And in this context, two things might be helpful. One is a story that uh, Mr. Oberoi told me that Baba Sawansing used to tell about an initiate of Baba Jamal Singh who was walking one day when he saw another initiate of Baba Jamal Singh riding in a tonga and a tonga is a cart 
in India drawn by a small horse which uh, faces backwards and slopes so that if you are sitting on it, you're looking you're pretty much at the eye level of someone who is standing. And so the man ran up and followed the Tonga because he saw this fellow initiate sitting there in the company of a woman who was obviously not a person of respectable nature. And he was holding a bottle of something that was obviously not water or juice or anything like that. And he was very upset. And he said, you, 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 you are the initiate of a great master and you're doing stuff like this? He said, what are you thinking? And he was genuinely concerned. And the guy said, yes, I am an initiate of a great master and he is great enough so that he can forgive me for what I am doing. And But he won't forgive you for judging me. And the man was so unhappy that he went to Baba Sawan Singh and told him the story. And he said, was he right? And Baba Sawan Singh said, yes, he is right. It is easier to forgive him for what he is doing than to forgive you for judging him. So it is extremely important to remember this. Even, I mean, on the path in all kinds of uh, situations, dealing with other people, we definitely see in terms of duality, we definitely see in terms of the manifested creation, we do not see the essence behind it, and therefore we judge, discriminate, you know, make all kinds of decisions, classify, name, do all sorts of things that lead us to think that we understand what's going on. And of course we don't. As Master says, who are you to take out the shortcomings of others? We don't have it in us to be able to do that. He can do that, but the Master does not do that, in fact. Masters don't work that way. And I have had, on tons of occasions, been present with both Master Kripal and with Sanchi when they absolutely refused to judge another person for even the most egregious what other people would find the most flagrant violations of the path. doesn't mean that they approved what they were doing, but it means they could see deeply enough to understand where they were coming from and to forgive them. The Master is the forgiver, after all, as a number of the bhajans say. Now, this is also the underlying point. Well, one other point I wanted to make is Mahatma Gandhi once said, somebody said to him when he, when he talked about fighting, someone once said to him, I didn't think you believe in fighting. And Gandhi said, I always believe in fighting, but do we fight to punish or do we fight to change things? For myself, I think we better leave punishment to God. And it is so easy to confuse those two. I mean, political discourse is full of the confusion. Do we fight to change things or do we fight to punish? And one is nonviolent and absolutely legitimate and indeed maybe essential. And the other is totally irrelevant to anything ultimate. Punishment is done by karma. It is not done by us unless we work in connection with karma that way, and then we'll wish we hadn't. As Jesus said, offenses must come, but woe to him by whom they come. 
In other words, it may be somebody's karma to be uh, treated very badly, but if we are the ones who are doing the treating, we uh, we get our own karma from doing that. So it is better to leave that to the workings of some other way and not to worry about how who's going to punish this guy if I don't. Anyway, this is a talk of Sanchi's excerpt from a talk, again from the book The Ambrosial Hour, called Content in the Will of God. It approaches the same basic understanding of the nature of the universe from an, another point of view. Namely, uh, this is, of course, something that Sanchi talked about all through his mission, his ministry, his career, and uh, was one of the last discourses. In fact, the last discourse he ever gave in the West was on this same subject, although a very different talk. So he says, so lovingly he says, whoever it is that he's quoting from the hymn, you need not do any outer rite or ritual. You just need to do the meditation of Shabad Nam. That Nam or name is not written in Hindi nor in Punjabi, not even in Sanskrit nor any other language. That is the Nam, the name of the Lord, which is unwritten law and unspoken language. And God Almighty always sends his beloved children into this world to give us the knowledge of that nam, that name. To me, it's very important to remember that the term nam, which the masters use in such a, you know, weighted and important technical sense, in Hindi, Punjabi, and Sanskrit, it simply means name. So in India, when the master is referring to Nam, it has exactly the same uh, resonance to people listening as if in our country he was saying name. And this relates, of course, to all kinds of esoteric and different mystical traditions regarding the name of God and its power, including the Bible, including uh, Moses' request to God to know the name of the one who is sending him, and all kinds of references to uh, the whole concept of names being power. Because the Nam, the ultimate name of God, is the power that has created the universe. And it is when the essence of a thing begins to manifest its attributive nature, the way it does it is via the real name of that person, and the, that, namely God. And that the, the mantra or the basic names of God that initiates repeat during Simran are names which reflect the, uh, Varanatmak Nam, which reflect in common speech as close as this is possible the nature of the real name or Dunatmak Nam, which is God naming himself. This is people every once in a while, people tell me, well, I don't understand this. And it's hard to understand. We don't need to understand it. We need to practice it. But if we can understand it, it makes it a little, for me anyway, it makes it more helpful in doing the practice. So, this, that is the name of the Lord, which is unwritten law and unspoken language. And God Almighty always sends his beloved children into this world to give us the knowledge of that name, 
that Nam. Nam is that power with the support of which the Khans and Brahmans, the divisions and grand divisions of this creation, are surviving and being sustained. That Nam, that name, is within us. And the perfect masters who come in this world in the will of God, who are sent by God, give us the knowledge of that Nam, that name. It is a pity that even though the masters of the highest degree come in this world, came in this world, few were those souls who could take advantage of and benefit from the coming of those masters. Once somebody asked Master Sawan Singh about outer signs of the perfect master. Master Sawan Singh said that the perfect masters do not hang a board on their neck. They do not have any sign on their forehead saying, he is a hypocrite or he is a perfect one. If you want to realize the perfectness of the master, you have to go within. We know about the goodness of a tree only by eating its fruit. In the same way, if we mold our life according to the teachings of the Master, if we sincerely do the things which the Master has told us to do, only then can we realize the perfectness and the competence of the Master. Because the Masters do not tell us things from hearsay, they tell us only those things which they have actually done in their own lives. There is an instance in the history of the King of Rome, and those of you who were present at the class yesterday will instantly recognize uh, this reference because we, we talked about this. Rome here, although it's printed in the book as R-U-M, Rome, which is also correct, it refers to the Roman Empire, what was left of it, around the time of the story, which would have been uh, in the... 12, 13, 1400, somewhere along in there, before 1453. And the, it refers to Asia Minor, which was a part of the Byzantine Empire and was called by Asian people as Rome. Because from the, the Byzantine point of view, that was the Roman Empire. It was what was left of it. So there is an instance in the history of the King of Rome when he was talking once to the people in his court, a question came up about patience and contentment. That king asked his people, what does it mean to be patient, to be content? He had so many people in his court who were very wise and learned, and they all tried to answer that question according to their own intelligence. But the king was not convinced. So he called his prime minister and asked him about it. Tell me, what is the meaning of patience? The prime minister tried to explain to him about patience and contentment, but the king was not satisfied. He asked him, who can give the answer to this question? Then he himself told the prime minister, I have heard that in the country of India there is a very mighty emperor whose name is Aurangzeb. He is a very wise and learned emperor, and he has many good people in his court. It is possible that if you go there and ask him about this, he would be able to give you the answer. But you should come back only when you are convinced and only when you feel that you can convince me. In case they cannot answer this question, you should try to find a fakir who lives in India whose name is Samad. 
I have heard that he is a fakir of the highest degree, and he will be able to answer this question. So you go to India and find out the answer and tell me what is the meaning of being patient and what it means to be content. So the prime minister went to India and met with Aurangzeb and asked him the question about patience and contentment. Aurangzeb was very learned and he tried to explain to him, but he could not give the exact answer which the prime minister was looking for to take back to his king. Then he talked with the other people there, but he was not convinced by them either, even though everybody tried their best to explain patience and contentment to the prime minister. So then he asked the people about the whereabouts of the fakir Samad, but they told him, Aurangzeb is a very strict religious-minded person, and he has not allowed any fakir or saint to live outside. He has put them all in jail and it is very difficult to find out exactly where he is. But wherever he is, he's in bad condition. He doesn't have any clothes to wear. He doesn't get good food to eat. He gets only one cup of water to drink a day, and he gets only a few bad chapatis to eat every day. But it will be difficult to find him. And notice here, taken for granted, by the way, in this story, and in a lot of other things that the Masters have said, is the opposition of institutional or organized or exoteric or creation uh, creation in the sense of maya and duality-oriented religion on the one hand and true spirituality on the other. The opposition of mythos and logos, which I've often mentioned in uh, various contexts, the esoteric understanding on the one hand and the logical on the other. Aurangzeb is a very strict religious-minded person, and he has put all the fakirs and saints in jail. It seems like it's a tremendous oxymoron. You know, why, why would a religious-minded person put all the holy people in jail? But the fact is that they don't seem holy to him because they are not functioning within the limits of what he sees as orthodoxy. So he puts them in jail. Samad, of course, was not really a Muslim, although he studied with Sufi masters and is widely considered a Sufi. He was a Sufi from that point of view. But he was not a Muslim. He was a Jew. And uh, he was from the Indian Jewish community. And that may have also contributed to his particular imprisonment, although Aurangzeb was pretty indiscriminate that way. He didn't really differentiate between uh, what kind of saint you were. If you were any kind of saint, you ended up in jail. Since the prime minister had the job of finding the fakir Samad and getting the answer to his king's question, he went on trying to find him. And you know that when you are devoted to something and work hard for it, you definitely achieve success. So he finally found Samad in a very dark cell. He was naked, and as the people had told him, he was in very poor condition. Before he could talk to him, he saw a person who had been sent by the emperor, who, without giving any alarm or explanation, suddenly started beating Samad. He whipped him, but Samad did not sigh or complain. He just patiently suffered whatever was going on there. Then the prime minister saw that somebody brought a cup of water and a dry chapati, which was not of good quality. 
Sarmad accepted that in the will of God. And with a lot of contentment, he ate the chapati. Then the prime minister of Rome asked Sarmad his question. Tell me, what is the meaning of patience and what is the meaning of being content? Sarmad said, I will reply to this tomorrow. When you come tomorrow, bring a big sheet and a leather bag full of water. Then I will answer your question. So the next day, the prime minister of Rome took a lot of water and a big sheet of cloth to Sarmad, who, with his gracious sight, opened the door of that prison and allowed the prime minister to come into his cell. Sarmad took a bath with the water which the prime minister had brought, and after that he covered himself with that sheet of cloth which the prime minister had brought for him, and then he sat in meditation. He also made that prime minister sit in meditation, and with his grace he took the soul of the prime minister up into the court of the Lord. There the prime minister saw that Sarmad was with the other souls who had reached the home of the Lord, and all those great souls were asking Sarmad, If you tell us, we can destroy Aurangzeb and his kingdom because he is giving you a hard time. But Sarmad the Fakir was folding his hands to all those great souls and saying, No, don't do any harm to Aurangzeb or to his people. Just forgive him because he does not know what he is doing. The Prime Minister of Rome was very surprised to see that even though Sarmad was almighty and had all the powers of God, still he had so much patience in the will of God that he did not want anyone to do any harm to Aurangzeb, even though Aurangzeb was giving him a lot of suffering. When the Prime Minister of Rome saw the real glory and the real position of Sarmad the Fakir there, he was very moved. And when Sarmad brought him down, he told him, Now you have the answer to your question. If you have all things given to you by Almighty God, but you do not use your power, that means being content in the will of God. And even though you are able to do everything, if you do not do anything to harm others, that means to be patient in the will of God. Sheikh Farid also says, The perfect masters are the beloveds of God. They have so much patience and they remain content in the will of God. Even though they live near God, still they do not tell people that they are one with God. Just as Sarmad took the prime minister up and showed him that whatever was happening was in the will of God, so we should be patient and content in his will. And just as Sarmad showed the prime minister the truth, in the same way, towards the end of his life, when Baba Sawan Singh was suffering a great deal, and his beloved son Maharaj Kripal Singhji could not bear to see that suffering, every day he requested Master Sawan to remove his suffering himself and stay in this world for a few more years. Once it so happened that Master Sawan Singh called Master Kripal Singh and told him to sit by his bed, because every day Master Kripal was making that request to Master Sawan Singh, Master Sawan Singh was passing it on to his master. So when Master Sawan had called Master Kripal to come and sit by his bed, he told him, Sit and close your eyes. 
Today in the court of the Lord, the decision is going to be made, and you will see with your own eyes what it is going to be. Master Kripal Singh told me himself that he saw the court of the Lord in such kind, and all the Mahatmas who had reached such kind were there. It was like a council of all the masters. Everyone wanted Master Sawan Singh to live in this world for a few more years, everyone except Baba Jamal Singh. He said, no, right now the conditions in the world are not so good, and I will not let Sawan Singh stay in this world for any more time. Now is the time for him to come back, because he has already had enough suffering. When Master Sawan Singh brought Master Kripal down, he said, Kripal Singh, have you seen this? Did you hear the decision with your own ears? This is the will of God, and whatever is going to happen will happen in the will of God. So Guru Ramdas Ji Maharaj says that liberation is in Nam, and one gets the Nam from the Master. If you want to cross this ocean of life, you should do the meditation of Shabad Nam. Now, I think this is not just being content, although that's a huge part of it, but the uh, ability or the the faculty of renouncing power. You know, it's like if you have all things given to you by Almighty God, but you do not use your power, that means being content in the will of God. And even though you are able to do everything, if you do not do anything to harm others, that means to be patient in the will of God. This, of course, runs directly counter to our intuitive gut instincts of how to get by in the world. We all want power, and we want power because we want to use it. And here Samad is saying that the truth of the matter, the real ultimate value of things is not to use your power even though you have it. And it's that recognition that, yes, we can do anything, but we are not going to do it. The renunciation of our desire to manipulate and make things happen according to our will that is really at the essence of everything. And it's of vital importance, I think, So often, uh, I mean, in the Bible, the prophet Elijah is up on Mount Sinai and he's very desperate straits and he's praying to God and he wants God to show himself. And the the Bible describes, you know, a succession of manifestations of, of earthquake, wind, fire, you know, very spectacular stuff. And each time it says, but God was not in that. He was not in that fire. He was not in that earthquake. He was not in that wind. And finally, there is a still, small voice. And that is where God was manifest. And Elijah knew that. And he conversed with that still, small voice. And that is even God himself, even though religious scriptures are full of God manifesting all kinds of power, The fact is, the highest teaching is that he renounces that too, which is why he gives us freedom, you see. It's the meaning of freedom that we have, because the only way we can grow is through being allowed to be free 
and to, you know, react to things according to our own lights. If we do that and we react constructively, we will grow. And God doesn't make us happen. I remember uh, when I first went to India in 1969, the first day we were there, we were sitting on the porch. Master had just come back from a tour. When we first arrived at the ashram that day, he was not he was not there. He was still coming back. But uh, in the evening or late afternoon, he had returned and he sent for us. Three of us had just arrived from St. Bani that day. This was in uh, September 1969. And he was very glad to see us. And it was a very, very sweet time. We were sitting on his porch in his house at Salon Ashram. And I became aware of this noise going on in the in the house. And I couldn't believe it for a while, but it was it was a television set that was blasting out. And it was drowning out the master in many ways. I mean, I, there were many things he said that I couldn't hear because that television set was was going. And I was, what is this? Even in the in the headquarters of the of the most powerful, holiest person on the face of the earth. They're showing television when he's trying to talk. What's going on here? And I asked somebody, Cuckoo or somebody, Edna, somebody that was prominent in ashram affairs, and they said, yeah, well, the, the set was brought in, Taiji brought it in, and it was set up, and the, the Savadars love it. And uh, they enjoy watching it, and uh, Master doesn't interfere with that. And so many times I have observed that the Master does not judge people. I mean, thank God he does not, because many of the times that he did not judge people, he was not judging me. And that's, you know, how we can keep on going. We don't know what we're doing. Nobody knows what they're doing. And as a consequence, even the power of God, as distinct from the power of cow, leaves us alone to make our mistakes and grow through them. And we got to be extremely grateful that he does. And to be content in the will of God, you know, means that to recognize the ultimate reality of the universe in the way that Master Kripal explained it in the beginning and to renounce the use of power, whatever power we have. Because look, Aurangzeb was the emperor and he was a very powerful emperor. He was the last of the powerful Mughal emperors, by the way. The dynasty did not die with him, but it degenerated after him. And eventually the British were able to just take it over. But he was very powerful. He thought that he was on top of things. He thought that he was putting, by putting the saints in jail, he was making a, a strong statement about religious orthodoxy and so forth sending a message to them and to people who would follow them, and like that. And yet the real power was in the hands of Samad and the other saints who were in jail. I mean, in the reality of the universe, Rangzeb's power was nothing. And he would find that out. Offenses must come, but woe to him by whom they come. But it was not for anybody to make that happen. You know, his own karma would make that happen. Whereas Samad was totally on top of everything and could have indeed retaliated to Aurangzeb and brought his power to bear on him if he had so wished. 
but he did not wish because he was being true to the God within him who does not punish. He might change things, but he does not punish. Anyway, we are listening to a tape of Master Kripal's, which we began last time I was here, on meditation, which then becomes develops into a discussion on keeping the diary and moral living and so forth, uh, which is a very beautiful talk and easier to understand than a, a lot of his talks given later in life, the states from 1955, when he was quite a bit younger and quite a bit easier to understand. However, the tape is not, this. there's been too many steps from the original down to this cassette and it's not of the highest quality, so it's not as clear as I would like, but I think it's still worth listening to. Thank you. 
exactly. I think this is our explanation in the brief. If I the time of initiation, some things are given, you see, we are not very attentive to Parama. This is one of the simple part, first practice, what I have told you. About the other practice, there are difficulties at times. Sometimes we do not share the sound. Sometimes that dies out. Sometimes it comes from the left. So we do not know how to do it correctly. At the time of initiation, these things are explain very, I mean fully, but if you are fully attentive to all then you grasp it, correctly, and you know far about where you gather. But having this out, you see, you have to sit in that particular posture prescribed. That's the best posture of two things, but having this out, but as well as far withdrawal of the spirit from the body. So that we can also be beautiful in that way. Try to sit in that pose as much as possible. First of all, when you are tired, you can sit no longer, but then you are able to sit for longer periods, but in the beginning you are not about to pay, and then you can sit as much as you can in that pose. Then, it asks the other people to die. Just give your goal on the chair parents to sit that if you like. Sit before the park, sit before the chair, sit before some table, put your the elbows there and close your ears like that. Closing ears means only cut shutting out the sound from outside. Nothing that not so much, I would say, the pressure that your eyes begin to ache and your fingers begin to ache. Sit the song with the tongue to come, shut out, that's all. And then you see, when you have the feet of the soul that they are just living in a few lines, remain there. You are not to do no repetition of the five days by that. Simply, you are there, you are together. Well, that is how you can come from inside. If you have any sound from the left side, you are not at all. This is any addition to it. This is a negative sound, you will go to the other side. No. You fall in that, you will fall in that. No impulses will come. There's the right sound and there's the wrong sound. You see, there's the sound that is fetching. Coming from the right. You follow the south which comes from the right side, you see. But don't follow to the place from where it comes, where it Stick to your place here and there, the island, here the south coming from the right. You follow the south to that place from where it comes, where it comes. That sound will become faint, and faint and fainter, until it dies out. Do you sit to your place here and only that the sound comes from the light, then sound will come nearer, goes down, and ultimately comes to the When the sound goes down, you see, 
little uh, attraction, you see, drag you up. Don't be afraid of. Family tenderly something very soft that you become afraid I am going to die. Don't, don't be afraid of that. That will take you just into the feet of your soul. You have to leave the love of the body, you see. You have to leave the body something, you see. Some higher power attraction, so why don't you go up? Really, I think the difficulty we have in our meditation, I think that try to make it brief. We probably that you have no one for compassion. If I can stay on the group, but we regularly like your church. Master Power, where he indicates that all the religions should be working all the time, but we want to give work. And then you think God is in you without knowing yourself. Because you are not conscious of that part without your technical. So that is all about the how to meditate. Yeah, final bhajan is on page four. Chela Nisayo Sirsa. Let us all go to Sirsa. I am in pangs of separation of the beautiful beloved. Let's go, let's go. You always remain with the Lord. You always remain with the Lord, and we suffer pain day and night. Every moment we deaf ones are being washed away in sorrows. We are neither on this shore nor on that shore. Fortunate are those souls that live with you every moment. We have been bearing millions of sufferings by sitting and rubbing our knees. In every conversation we feel pain and the whole world looks barren. Come soon and show your face. I am in pain without your darshan. My hope and wish is not fulfilled and I am sitting outside the boundary crying. Without you, O beloved, I am dead while alive. I offer my life to you. O oh, beloved Sawan, where did you go? I, the prisoner, am spending my life weeping. I sit and count the stars at night. In the day I spend my time looking at the road for you. Hundreds of times I dreamed, O oh, my Lord, you have forgotten me. Why did you bring me close to you by telling me nice things? O oh, dear Sawan, Without you, I am dead. Without your darshan, I have gone crazy. I cry, O oh, Sawan, please come out of the curtain now and have conversations of love with me. Your shoes are much better than I. They are always with you. I wander around in hot sand. Please come soon. I am surrounded by death. I am in pain for want of the darshan of my beloved Sawan. Let us all go to Sirsa. I am in pangs of separation of the beautiful beloved. Let's go, let's go. And this is, of course, Ibajan of Master Kripal Singh. And Sirsa was Sawan Singh's private retreat place in India, which uh, many of us on the way to Rajasthan used to sometimes stop and see it on the way. It still exists there. And it stands for wherever the Master is that we are not.
Chelo ni seyo sir sanu chaliye Tanga sunehi ardiya Chelo ni seyo chelo ni seyo Chelo ni seyo sirsanu chaliye Tanga soneya diya Chelo ni seyo chelo ni seyo Apsara Malika Sangarahinde Ratadina Asi Dukre Sehinde Apsara Malika Sangarahinde Ratadina Asi Dukre Sehinde Ardum bahire gama vicha bahinde Ardum bahire gama vicha bahinde Chalie Tanga Sonehiardia Cheloniseo Cheloniseo Pagabharia Ruhateria Nalaterejo Hardum rehindia Pagabaria Ruhateria Nalterejo Hardum rehindia Asamusi Asamusi batalaka laka sahiya Bet kotya galdiya Bet kotya galdiya Chelo ni seyo sirsanu chaliye Tanga Sonehiya Ardiya Chelo ni seyo Chelo ni seyo Pake gala Gala vicharuk dukra 
जग Dina 
थकता कर गुजार दिया चेलो निसे चेलो निसे सौ सौ बरी मेनू खाबा भूल गयो मेनू मरिया सौ सौ बरी मेनू खाबा गायो मीनूसले नला मेरे क्यों लाइले नला मेरे क्यों लाइ सानु चलिए टंगा चेलो निसे चेलो निसे सावन प्यारे तुद बीना बिना पागल सावन प्यारे दर्शबिना पागल होदेव बहिरया सावन रोहिया पारदेव बहिरया सावन रोइया गे हूँ प्यार दिया गे हूँ प्यार दिया चेलो निसे सिर सानु चलिए गंगा सुने चेलो निसे चेलो निसे मेथु चंगिया जूतिया टेरिया मेठा टी दूर पावर तेरिया 
metu changya jutya teriya metati dhura pavateriya chetiyavi yamane khariya Let us all go to Sirsa. I am in pangs of separation of the beautiful beloved. Let's go, let's go. May God bless us all.